Welcome, welcome to the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast. This is the podcast where we dissect and analyze the power of storytelling and learn how to harness this magical skill to supercharge our everyday lives. I'm Gorf. And I'm Kevin. Hey, so this is part two of our amazing conversation with the amazing expert storyteller, John Booker. This guy literally got his doctorate in mythology and storytelling. He's dedicated his lives to making people better storytellers, and we are so excited to dive deep with him. We made this two parts so we can get really deep and geek out on storytelling with him, and this is part two of that episode. Yeah, so in part one, uh, we got to uh, expand on a lot of very interesting storytelling topics, you know, starting all the way back into the ancient times uh, to the origin of uh, myths and the storytelling features and nature behind that, uh, you know, that more than true essence of myths gives them a special kind of power. And it's interesting to see that across these different cultures, there are similar types of stories, similar um, storytelling elements within different kinds of myths. And we're going to talk more about that uh, into the, our part two and also storytelling into the future. Uh, we'll get to talk uh, about stuff like uh, NFTs in the sense of storytelling, how investing in stories is getting prominent and outlook into how that all can unfold into the future. This is an amazing part two with John Booker. If you haven't listened to part one, highly recommend you go back, listen to that part first. And then, yeah. So why don't we dive back in with John? Uh, on your website, uh, which I also love, tellingabetterstory.com. That's one of the best website names I've ever heard. Um, uh, you said that our old stories are not working anymore. Yeah. We need a new story. And we need a better story. Yeah. So can you explain that to us a little bit? So, you know, I, I guess what are old stories to begin with and why yeah. aren't they working anymore? And why do we need, you know, something new and something better? That's a great question. And I'm so glad you asked because it really does connect with, you know, my passion. I'll give you an example of a, a story that has been with us for a long time and uh, is not working anymore. We, for thousands of years, have all been living in a world that has greatly been controlled by white men. That has been an accepted narrative for a long, long time. And every, um, every other culture in the United States has had an opportunity and has taken an opportunity to redefine their story in the United States. So, for example, in the, uh, the last century, we saw great strides with women redefining uh, their own story and everything from from gaining you know rights that men had had for for a long period of time to uh, the women's liberation movement in the 70s up through the me too movement most recently we've seen women take control of their story and redefine themselves we've seen this happen with the african-american community uh, the 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 narratives that uh, surrounded the african-american community for years, uh, were, were defined by white people 
And it was a terrible story that was told. And African-Americans took their story, redefined their story, and now tell a much different and a much better story about who they are in this world. I would say the same is true, and perhaps even most recently, for the LGBTQ community in that they've, they've taken their story and they have redefined that story and represented that story in a way uh, that, that has redefined how they operate and are seen in the world. I believe that, that white men now must step up, and I am a white man myself, white men must now step up and redefine their story and tell a better story who uh, about who they are. And this is not work that should be left to, to anyone else. It is responsibility of white men such as myself to step into culture and to tell a better story about who we could be. And it's, it's going to involve us not centering ourselves in the story right away, because that has been part of the problem is that white men have centered themselves in the global story. So I believe one of the things that, that white men can do right now to, to begin to tell a better story is actually by listening and, and by uh, observing and listening um, the voices of others and decentering themselves in stories. So that's just one example because I am a white male. I feel I can, you know, speak to that story that's not working anymore. But I'll give you one other quick example just so we don't make it about um, race and gender identities solely. The, the issue that we're seeing right now in the midst of COVID, of, of having trouble getting people to return to work and many workers not wanting to come back to work, I think people have grown tired of the narrative that capitalism has offered in the United States. And that's not to say we're going to completely throw capitalism out the, the window, but I think this idea of, of treating people poorly and that, that work being such a large consuming part of every aspect of our lives and having no meaning for most people, and that most of the wealth produced through work going to a small number of people at the top, that story is not working anymore, and we need a better story. Last summer with, with the, uh, the, the George Floyd protests, we saw the old story of the police harshly treating people of color. We saw that story rejected and thrown out and saying, no, we need a better story. These are just a few examples uh, of stories in our culture that are not working anymore and that we're demanding better stories around. Does that make sense? Yo, yeah, I think that makes so much sense because it's it's kind of something we've been talking about a lot on the show is that idea that storytelling and stories is often siloed to when people first think about it, to like the movies or television. And all that's really important in how we see the world. But storytelling is everywhere. Storytelling is the news we read. Storytelling is the news we say, the communications, the conversations. It's so much also about listening as it is telling. And it's something we're learning a lot about. The first thing you can do in storytelling in telling your story is listening, hearing about the people around you, how you're affecting the people around you. And it's why, you know, not only does representation matter so much in the writer's rooms, but it matters in the executive offices and in the news reporting and in every aspect of life. So we can just get a much richer understanding of everyone else's stories as well as our own. 
That's really well said. And I think when we listen and hear the stories of others, there's this process that happens inside of us. And I like to think of it as, as like alchemy. You know, it, it, it produces something um, that is completely unexpected. We, we talk about this sometimes in storytelling circles that um, a good story is one plus one equals three. The elements come together and they form something more powerful in the product than, than the ingredients that went into them. There's something magic about storytelling. There's something very alchemical about storytelling that transformation is produced. Transformation comes forward. And we can only experience that transformation, I believe, by soaking in those, those, the, the magic from other people's stories. I think a, a lot of what we discussed here uh, goes in parallel with uh, what you brought up about the importance of uh, reading or understanding stories of so many different cultures. Yeah. Um, and, and you have personally, you know, obviously learn about a lot of those stories. But from there, uh, I wonder, have you also picked up certain uh, interesting similarities or differences uh, in kind of storytelling traits or just any elements that are, you yeah. know, common across these different cultures and communities? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've, I've had the fortunate opportunity to speak in, in more than 30 countries around the world. And every country that I go to, I will often ask the the people in the audience or the people that I meet, you know, before the the uh, the the speaking time, I will ask, tell me about the stories you tell your children before bedtime. I, I often ask about the stories that parents tell their children before they go to bed. And can I tell you, there's one story that. I have never met a culture yet that doesn't have some version of this story, and it's the Cinderella story. Every country that I've ever been to has some version of the Cinderella story, and it's usually you know, told in a different way, and there's different elements to it, but I've often wondered why is it that that story resonates so deeply with people around the world, even though it, it is changed and, and brought, you know, into the cultural context that it's being told. And I think it's this. I think the Cinderella story at its base is this, this idea that people can move beyond their class, that, that Cinderella is able to go from, from being someone who feels at least very low class and move to this this higher class that her um her wishes you know can come true by by social movement <laughs> um and i i think that really resonates with people around the world we want to believe that we could finish this race further than where we began it is the wish of parents in every culture that their children would be able to accomplish more than they did I think there's something innate to us in our human DNA that wants to see us move forward and move further than we have or than we began. So this is one thing that I, I see are elements of this Cinderella, you know, fairy tale. But I'll bring I'll bring one other thing that I've seen to the table. I am always struck 
by story motifs about home. So many stories are about just trying to get back home. When we look at classic stories like the Iliad and the Odyssey, you know, the Odyssey is just a story about Odysseus just trying to get back home, just trying to get back home after the war. In our modern era, look at stories like um, uh, The Wizard of Oz that have had such profound impact on culture. It's a story about a girl who's swept away to Oz and what's her entire journey and goal in that story? Just trying to get back home. Look at uh, other popular movies like Back to the Future, a story about a, a boy who gets in a DeLorean and goes to the past. And what is he trying to do? He's just trying to get back home. Even E.T., the extraterrestrial, it's a story about trying to get an alien back home. So often we tell these grand, great stories about home, what it means to go home, what it means to get back home. And I think home is a, an archetypal idea that is inside of every person and that causes us to want to return to something deep within ourselves. Home, I think, is a symbol for who we really are when we can be our most true selves. And I think all of us have a great interest in getting back to that, returning to that. Throughout the day, I'm forced to put on a thousand different masks and be a thousand different people. But I think at the end of the day, I just want to come back and be my true self. I just want to return home. And I think there's something about stories that involve home that cause us on an unconscious level to connect deeply because we have a similar desire inside of ourselves. Now, there's a lot of theorists that have theorized about this. Um, Carl Jung, the, the, the famous psychologist, suggested that there was a collective unconscious uh, among all people that, that was drawing us and causing us uh, to, to move in these similar patterns. Uh, Joseph Campbell, the mythologist, uh, took Carl Jung's idea about the collective unconscious and took it a step further and said this is perhaps even why we tell similar stories from culture to culture. And in Joseph Campbell's famous book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, released in 1949, Campbell suggested that we saw elements of so many of the same stories all over the world. He, he tried to maybe explain why, but he never was able to come up with a good reason why this was the case. Some believe, again, in Carl Jung's idea of a collective unconscious. Some believe there's something in the pattern of DNA in human beings. Some believe we just don't know that there's some mystical uh, answer to that. Some believe the answer is completely in science and biology. We, we have a lot of different answers to that question, but while we don't know exactly why, we do know that human beings tend to tell similar stories all over the world amongst people that have never met each other and never experienced each other's culture. Now, I will say, guys, this is changing a great deal right now because of online culture. We're all becoming this global culture that constantly experiences each other's stories. So I'm curious to see what a thousand years in the future stories will be like as we begin to emerge into a global culture. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I, I find that so interesting, the idea of how different societies build and grow totally separately, especially as we go way far in the past when 
totally different parts of the world and they have similar stories, similar connections. Because, you know, we truly believe, you know, at, at some level that storytelling is the universal language. You know, yeah. it's how we connect. It's the emotional appeal. And we, we talked a lot about, you know, ancient storytellers and kind of the old school storytelling. And it's funny, we, we talked about technology a little bit. One of the weirdest forms of storytelling I'm seeing right now comes in the form as, of NFTs. Yeah. I don't know how much you followed non-fungible uh I'm very involved with uh, uh, crypto culture and NFTs, and I own a few NFTs myself. And yes, I, I firmly believe that. T tell me where you see storytelling in NFTs. All right. So I find this so interesting because, you know, we, we've had like fintech people on the show and we talk a lot about the idea of investing in stories. Um, and yeah, I also own a few NFTs. I just bought um, some of, because Marvel is now minting their comic books. An MIT, so I bought a few of those. Um, and it's funny because some of these these digital comic books that you've been able to buy digitally for years or read online are now worth thousands of dollars because Marvel verified it. Because Marvel minted the comic on the blockchain, it is now worth thousands and thousands of dollars. And it's just so fascinating, this NFT culture, because it's about that pixie dust. It's about that story. This was verified. And the story is what's worth it because I can get the JPEG or I can get the digital comic, but the verification on the blockchain, that's the fascinating part. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And this, this, I think, you know, blockchain technology will have an impact on storytelling and storytelling will have an impact on blockchain technology. You know, they, they will impact each other. And I think one of the ways we're seeing that is there are still a number of people in the world that believe that cryptocurrency, NFTs, blockchain technology is all a fad, a hoax. It will all just go away. And that's the story they believe about these things. There are other groups of people like ourselves that believe there's a great future in these things. And so we're telling a different story about what NFTs are and what cryptocurrency is and blockchain technology. And I think this is what's interesting is the group who tells the most compelling story usually wins. And I believe the, the group that's telling the story about what NFTs are, I think they tell a more compelling story than those who are naysayers that just dismiss it. My brother is an avid comic collector and his Ark of the Covenant, his Holy Grail, he's always trying to get his hands on, uh, are, are issues of Phantom Stranger from the Golden Age. So Golden Age Phantom Strangers are very rare. Uh, even to, to buy a coverless copy, you know, that's all, all torn up on, on eBay, it's still very expensive. It's usually thousands of dollars just because they're, they're very rare. There were only a few issues uh, that come from the Golden Age. Most of uh, Phantom Stranger comes from uh, the Silver Age or later. But my brother just wants to read those copies of Golden Age Phantom Stranger comics. I think besides having the, the story that it is, you know, has DC or Marvel stamp of approval on them, the other thing NFTs are going to allow us to do in the same way that um, after, you know, Napster 
made MP3s uh, uh, a mess in the world, Apple came along and said, look, we're, we're going to sell these in a way that now you can have access to all the music in the world. You're going to have to pay something for it, but we're going to organize it and we're going to, to create a distribution system that allows you to experience all the music ever created. And that was a beautiful thing. And I think it's also a beautiful thing, the potential of being able to now experience any comic book that was ever drawn or created. That's exciting to me. The fact that my brother might actually get to, to have Golden Age Fan Phantom Strangers in his collection now, even if they're NFTs, that's exciting to me. So it all comes back to the story we tell about these technologies and I believe that the most compelling story usually wins. Yeah. And, you know, it's with this is it, because it's such a speculative industry. It's exactly right. Because you need people to adopt it. You need the brands to adopt. And the more people adopt, it's going to become that boulder that just gets bigger and bigger and goes down the hill. And if you don't tell that story, especially the early adopters, I've been following Bitcoin for a while. And you see, you know, with stuff like Dogecoin and you see sense of Ethereum, they're up and down based on, what people are believing and if you push it forward and even with things like the joke uh and this is a little outside of crypto but how uh meme stocks saved amc yeah. Uh, yeah it's through adoption it's through the storytelling and yeah. we see amc ceo talking about this all the time now yeah that is how you get people to adopt and on board and yeah. this idea of you know rallying people behind a fictional imagined reality yeah. is why we started this podcast, is why Storytime has such an impact on us. Yeah, well, I think you bring up a really interesting example with Dogecoin because really the story around Dogecoin, you know, the, the origin of it, it's hilarious to think it's, mm -hmm. you know, a coin at all. But when we look at, you know, uh, the the Elon Musks and the Mark Cubans of the world that that will tell stories about these coins and say, no, this coin is actually worth more than you think it is. Or they will say, ah, this coin is a joke. You know, Elon Musk on Saturday Night Live making a joke about it. Um, these stories that we tell about these things are what give them meaning. And I think we don't, as a culture, recognize the full power of that. That really, what inherently has meaning? We assign meaning to, to just about everything, right? We, we say what's valuable and what's not. Why is a diamond valuable? We can now produce diamonds in, in labs, right? We can create synthetic diamonds. Why is a diamond valuable? It's, it's valuable because we say it's valuable. There are other gems that are actually more rare than diamonds that, that are not worth as much. But we tell a story that says a diamond means this. And we've, we've built all sorts of capitalistic opportunities around it, you know, rings and jewelry and all sorts of, of stories about what those things mean. But this also is the exciting thing to me is that the things not working in our culture, we can tell a different story about them. You know, if we decide, you know what? Um, we're, we're going to say that uh, this coin that uh, uh, brings water to people that don't have water, uh, that that coin is going to be the most valuable. If we decide that as a culture, we can make that the most valuable coin. 
we get to choose and our choices based on the stories we believe and the stories that we tell create the reality around us. This is why I think it's such a heavy responsibility to be a storyteller. And we're constantly telling new stories all the time, but it's a heavy responsibility to be a storyteller and storytelling is a dangerous business. <laughs> yes, it is. And what are some actionable steps that everyone can take uh, to become a better storytellers and to tell stories that are new and are, uh, that are better and that last? Yeah, that's, uh, I love that question. You know, the first step we have to take is to become aware of our own stories. We have to become aware of the stories that we live in. And so many of us are, are fish unaware of the water that we're swimming in. You know, we, we're surrounded by water, and so we just believe the whole world is water, right? We, we don't recognize that we are swimming in a particular bowl. We're swimming in a particular pond. We're swimming in a particular ocean. And I think one of the first things we have to do is to recognize what stories do I believe about the world? What stories do I believe about myself? What stories do I believe about other people? Being able to define the stories that we have and we believe and that we've embraced, that's the first step to telling better stories. We have to, to, to have an accurate and honest appraisal of, of where we are now. The next step, I believe, then, is to listen. Listen to stories outside of our circle. Listen to stories from those who have been decentered in the conversation. Listen to stories from, from those that, that seem uh, out there or, or that their stories seem foreign to us in some way. Listen to those stories. The next step, I think, is just to process that. There, there's so much to be said in storytelling for actually just doing nothing, setting, thinking, processing, allowing a story to work its way through us. I, I've got some uh, dear friends in uh, Lebanon that I, I love dearly, and they have shared stories with me a number of years ago that I'm still processing. I'm still trying to understand those stories in a deep way, and those stories are working on me. They're causing me to see the Lebanese people differently. They're causing me to understand Lebanese culture differently. And I... I I would not dare speak on Lebanese culture or what it's like to be Lebanese. Um, I'm no authority on that. No matter how many stories I hear from them, I will never be an authority on that. But hearing the stories of my Lebanese friends, it changes the way I see the world and it changes the story that I tell. It changes the stories I tell. So I think... So much of good storytelling occurs in all these processes before we ever open our mouth or touch our pen to paper or put our fingers on a keyboard. So much of good storytelling occurs before we ever do any of that. Good storytelling happens in the heart and in the mind. 
and, and when it has fully cooked and baked with inside of us, we, we let it out through our words, through our, our keyboards, through our phones. We, we release it then. So I believe that is, is what we all can do better is um, listening to marginalized voices, listening to, um, to, to those who have been decentered. But also, can I, can I end that statement with this? I think we also live in a world that is quick to shame people. And I don't find shaming people to be an effective tool uh, for change or telling better stories in the world. I don't find that people respond well to shame. Everyone needs to feel like they're a good person. This is part of our, our psychological and mental health. In shaming each other, I don't feel like is the, the most skillful way to move forward as a culture or in telling a better story. Um, there's a wonderful, wonderful uh, TED Talk that a, a, a woman gave recently uh, about not calling people out, but calling them in, inviting people into the conversation, inviting people into a better story. And that's what I want my work to be about. There's a time and a place to call people out. Don't get me wrong. But if that becomes our default and that becomes all we're able to do, I don't know if we're, we're going to create a better world for everyone. I, I think inviting people into a better story, everyone, inviting everyone in to a better story, that is what I want my life to be about. To wrap up our episodes, we have this segment called Suspenders. All right. We'll ask you a random question that's fun and unrelated to anything. You'll answer it however <laughs> you feel like. Okay. Question of the day is, if you were a bagel, what type of bagel would you be? Oh, this is, oh, I love this question so much. I would be an Asiago cheese bagel. I love Asiago cheese uh, when it just bubbles up on the top of a bagel. And some people like Asiago cheese with the, the jalapenos in there. And I respect that. But to be honest with you, it's too much flavor for me in one setting. I would rather have the jalapenos separate and the Asiago cheese all to itself. I don't need to mix it together. I, I love uh, an Asiago cheese bagel toasted with cream cheese. And there's some part of me that feels like what I'm trying to do in the world is the equivalent to the goodness of an Asiago cheese bagel. I love it so much. That's a great choice. I'm, I'm a, I love spicy food, so I'm the one with the jalapenos. Oh, oh yeah. Girl, I would love. take jalapeno in anything. <laughs> well, that was an amazing answer. Thank you so much for joining us. That was awesome because you know we get to geek out a little bit and we just like say all the things we've been trying to say and we really appreciate appreciate you taking the time welcome back to top hat this is the part of the episode where we dissect and analyze some of the key learnings we got from this week's expert storyteller and this week was the continuation and conclusion of our conversation with the amazing mythologist, John Booker. Let's dive right into some of the learnings from part two. 
And I think the first key learning was this idea of storytelling is about, you know, it's kind of told by the winners. It's kind of told by the the groups that can tell the most persuasive stories. And it's something we're seeing with NFTs a lot right now is that the better the storytelling techniques and the better the way NFTs allow us to tell stories, the more people get involved and the more people get involved, the more mass adoption and the more prolific NFTs come. And it's kind of fascinating because a lot of people, there's a lot of people who say it's a flash in the pan. And a lot of people who say it's the next big technology, it's the next big internet, it's Web 3.0. And in the end, it's going to depend so much more on who can tell the most, who can tell the most persuasive story. If the skeptics do, then it will become, it will fail. But if the enthusiasts can, then it will succeed. So it's less to do with the technology itself. It's who can get the biggest buy-in. And that's one of the most important parts of storytelling is the idea that it is essential to getting buy-in for anything. Who lives, who dies, who tells a story as Sonny Hamilton. It's such an interesting thing to think about. And another interesting thing to think about, I think, is where, you know, we talked about uh, the consistent or common motifs or themes across story stories in different cultures. For example, the, the, the motif of going home, it has been retold so many times. You know, even, even some of the uh, more modern ones like Back to the Future, uh, E.T., where we mask it with like this futuristic or outer space uh, elements. But uh, it just ends up being the still the idea of uh, going home, which is a very human story that has been told countless times in history across so many different cultures. Right. It, and it's just interesting to see that we end up telling, you know, the same Kind of themes over and over again because they're so important to us yeah and you know it's interesting because as we talk about these classic stories and we talk about how storytelling is told by the winners and or the most popular or the people in power or stories are told by the powerful right we talk about why we need why do we need new stories and this is because for a long time there have been so forever there's been marginalized groups whose stories haven't been told as prolifically as they should be, whose stories have been told by people in power. And it's a reminder, something we talked about a lot in this episode, it's a reminder of why we need more representation in media, in the writer's room, in the executive offices, because this gives people the power to tell their own story and to tell it correctly, authentically, and much deeper. So it, it's a reminder of not only how powerful storytelling is, and how important it is to have a represented and diverse group of storytellers to tell the story. I think this is the kind of the general learning from both parts and from storytelling as a whole and our episode John as a whole. This idea of how powerful storytelling as a tool is, how important it is we understand and respect it, that power, and how important it is that we do it correctly and authentically so the right stories are being told and that are doing good in the world. Yeah, and that's going to do it. This has been another great episode of the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast. Thank you so much to John Booker, who dedicated a lot of time to dive into so many different interesting topics with us. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>